The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Uh, Psalm 89, um, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne uh, for all generations. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Give me just a second. I always forget uh, after I'm done at St. James, I have to turn my phone back on, and then I always forget to turn it off, and I wouldn't want a phone call right in the middle of my sermon. That would not be, that would not be good. So if you want to prank me, and it's not going to work, I've just turned my phone off. We have traveled a long way since we began the ser- series on uh, continuous spiritual renewal uh, a few months ago on August 1st. August 1st seems like a long, long time ago. Um, just a few months, though. And we are uh, now, this morning, uh, starting the last leg of the journey. And um, perhaps uh, it would be helpful to reset our thinking uh, and understanding of this basic idea that we've tried to set forward that continuous spiritual renewal is really about giving a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Of course, the long road is not uh, easy to navigate, uh, which is why I have used uh, the strategy of retrieving apostolic truth of then reproving us with apostolic truth, and now starting uh, today to challenge us to remain in apostolic truth. Uh, In the section on retrieval, uh, we look specifically at four doctrinal truths that kind of ground us in uh, the Word of God. And doctrine is always so very important to be at the forefront of the life of the church. We talked about God's faithfulness, his fullness, his forgiveness, and of course, uh, his favor. It was in that first section that we took on the naughty problem of how God deals with sin by descending into the very particular areas of our lives. Uh, we, We said that he did this by becoming fully human and yet remaining fully God. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins And then in his resurrection, he provides life for all who come by faith to him. But the retrieval of truth is never enough. We never want to sit in our doctrinal glow and feel good about ourselves because we have right doctrine. We must be awakened to the doctrine that we have retrieved. And so this idea of being reproved by it, for Paul said, To Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all doctrine and teaching. 
And so we landed on this um, very important area of reproving you. That is to uh, correct your thinking because over time uh, we lose sight of what the truth actually is or we uh, imagine it to be different than when we first heard it or we are drawn away from it. And so the truth needs to be working actively in our lives to continue to uh, correct us. Uh, as we noted in that uh, section that people uh, have itching ears and they want their ears to be tickled. And Paul said that they will take any new myth or any passion that rises up within themselves uh, to be able to take care of their ears that itch. I said that it is through the speaking of the truth that the church shepherds the flock away from their kind of mythical passions and then towards the good shepherd who is also our great king. The king that brings heaven and earth together. The king upon whose God's kingdom actually rests and through whom God's kingdom is going to be revealed. The reproving is necessary and we talked for a few weeks about the conscience. How that so many people who actually attend church or go about some religious practice in Christianity, that their conscience is dull, or their conscience is dead. Uh, they wouldn't have sung a hymn like, Do Not Pass Me By, with any emotion within them that says, Oh God, please never pass me by. They'd just be singing it, dull, dead, not really connecting. Their, their heart wouldn't have skipped a beat when they sang about the resurrection, because resurrection truth isn't at the forefront of their thinking, shaping, and forming them as to who they are in Jesus Christ. So reproving is necessary because the spiritual conscience of so many church-going Christians has been made dull or dead by the idolatrous influences of the world. They are not hearing God's word. And then, of course, um, and we see this in a much larger way in our nation, churches are not preaching God's word, and shepherds are not bringing God's word to the sheep through the care of their souls. And so I, I wanted to be clear that it was never enough to sit in church and hear a sermon. My job isn't completed when I preach a sermon. That I am and the others with me are actually to sit with you and care for your soul. How are you receiving God's word? How is it transforming your life? Of course, the neglect of this has been disastrous, not only for our nation, but for many churches, which means that the church has lost its place of moral leadership in the nation in which we live and in the community in which we exist. We cannot speak with any real sense of power, authority, or integrity about the moral issues of our day if we ourselves are dead spiritually and our conscience is dead uh, things won't bother us things won't affect us we won't really be able to discern and understand what's at stake and even in our own communities uh, if we're not made alive if we're not awakened you might recall that word from ephesians that phrase awake O sleeper rise up christ will make you alive and uh, we need so much to be awakened and then of course last week uh, we saw that the church is to be like the ark of God as it provides salvation for sinners in need of rescue and protects the rescued sinners 
from the judgment that is all around them by providing soul care, by providing care for their soul. So we've retrieved the truth, we've been reproved by the truth, and this morning we begin to ask, well, why, why is it that important to actually remain in the truth? I, I don't like it when people answer my question with a question, but I'm going to do that because I think it's probably pretty effective, which is why I don't like it, you know? Um, so um, why do we need to remain in the truth? Well, let me ask some questions. How will our conscience stay awake unless we remain in the truth? It may be awakened for a period of time in this room, but if we don't remain in the truth, we'll go back to sleep spiritually once we leave this place. How will we provide moral leadership for our community unless we as a church remain in the truth? You see, it's not only of an individual importance, but there is a collective reality. How, we, how will the church effectively become the ark of rescue for sinners and the place for rescued sinners to be cared for if we are not remaining in the truth? You see, these are essential tasks of the church and should be at the very core of our existence. We can support missionaries. We can send out uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to missionaries and say, you do it. You can send your money to parachurch ministries all you want and say, well, let's hope they do it. But on Judgment Day, we're going to be asked, why didn't you do it? Right where you are, in the place where you live in the community which you exist in. Who better to meet the spiritual demands of this particular parish that we exist in than us, for we exist in it. Who better to meet the demands? Which is why we have to remain uh, in the truth. Are we willing to do the hard work that it takes? to retrieve, to be reproved by, to remain in? Or will we uh, just kind of become like other churches, flitting from one thing to another, growing exhausted as we try to meet the demands of consumers that are all around us? So I want to remind you of a basic life principle, and I think in this life principle, it really is rooted in a much larger spiritual reality. We'll put it up on the screen. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. You want to be bitter? Nurse your grudges. I promise you, you'll become bitter. You want to become dull in your conscience towards God? Neglect his word. We spend more time listening to all of the voices that are out there than the voice of the Holy Spirit through God's word. Fine. You become what you behold. But, but the true, uh, truth is on the other side of that as well. You see, as we become willing to embrace a faith that demands something of us, we will find that we are being transformed by that truth. We become what we behold. Uh, that's why I had uh, Joe read Joshua 1.8. It's a familiar verse. Sometimes you find it on, you know, uh, the wall and 
whatever that's called when they do that thing and they put it on the wall. Um, you know, sometimes you find it there, right? But, but is, it, is it part of your life, is it part of your actual thinking that uh, the book of the law would not depart out of your mouth, but that you would meditate on it day and night? You see, the, the doing of the law is predicated on the meditating on the law day and night. And, and I think this is a wonderful place just to examine our own personal devotional habits, our own habits as we leave this place. Because it sounds very intrusive to one's daily schedule for someone to say, you need to meditate on the book of the law day and night. And the reason it sounds intrusive is because it actually is intrusive. It is. You ever have a friend that shows up and they're sitting there and you're drinking coffee and you've got a full day ahead of you but they haven't asked you that and they haven't looked at your schedule book and you're just sitting there and finally you say to your friend, you got to go. I got stuff to do. I love you but you got to get out of here, you know. Um, they say, really? I mean, what, don't you want to be my friend? You say, I want to be your friend but I got stuff to do. That is not how the word of God should interact in our lives. The word of God should be a friend in our lives that intrudes, but we receive it gladly, that pushes its way in, and we know it's good so that we can be transformed by it. And, and it is so very, very important for us to understand how this works. You see, this is what I mean when I ask the question, does your faith demand anything of you other than coming to church, perhaps? Or uh, maybe, you know, uh, you, you have a quick devotional or something. Is that all that your faith asks of you? Finding a way to have the book of the law in your thoughts day and night might actually require something of us. Again, simple to say, not easy to do. Now, some might say, well, you know, that's an Old Testament thing. They did, that, they did that back then because they didn't have much going on. They could sit in their tents all day and just read the, the law. And that's all they had to do. Well, go to James 1. Uh, first of all, that's not true, but let's go to James 1. If you've ever lived in a tent, you know that's not true. There's a whole lot more to do living in a tent. Um, but, but, but let's see the, the New Testament equivalent to what Joshua was told by God to say to the people. The James passage that Joe read for us says the same thing. You see, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. That's what it says um, in verse number 25 of chapter 1 of James. Let me reset the stage. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And we all know the problem of forgetting what we look like in the reflection of a mirror. That's why we have to go back to the mirror time and again. But this is how the Word of God works when we look into it. We're looking into what James 
aptly describes as the perfect law of liberty. And then he says, you've got to persevere in it. Because as we do that, then we will not soon forget what the law of liberty compels us to do. You see, we become what we behold. In his wonderful sonnet titled The Lectern, Cambridge poet and theologian Malcolm Geit writes about the profoundly important truth of remaining as he imagines uh, the, the scriptures opened on the lectern and people walking up to the lectern to read. Here's, what he, here's how he says it. You walk towards an always open book, open as every life to every light, open to shade and shadow, day and night. The changeless witness of our changing pain. Be still, it says, stand here and read. Here are your mysteries, your love and fear, and running through them all the slender thread of God's strange grace, red as these ribbons, red as your own blood, when reading reads you here and pierces joint and marrow. I remember the first time I read that, and I just, like, I couldn't get out of that phrase, that it reads me, and as it reads me, it pierces me, joint and marrow. It gets in the uncomfortable places of my life. You see, we've got it wrong in this sense. Oh, I've got to read my Bible, and we forget that the Bible has already read us. The omniscient God, whose spirit resides within us, knows what we need before we ask. And through his holy word, he reads us before we ever get to it. And then when we get to it, we're always before, we're before a book that is always open. And this book, God's blessed word, has a way of getting in and making us very uncomfortable. It intrudes into our lives. So if that friend that you think is staying too long is only intruding on your schedule. You've missed the point of friendship, maybe. Maybe the friend has something different, a different purpose for being there, and a reason that will actually be beneficial to you. You see, the Word of God is designed to get into our lives, to intrude into our lives, and make us uncomfortable in places where we have otherwise become dull or dead in our conscience. Now let me just reflect on this for a moment and do some soul care. In this series, I've used the point of teaching by 13th century theologian Thomas Aquinas, who taught his students, and we'll put it up on the screen for you, he taught his students to descend into matters of detail. Descend into matters of detail. Thomas Aquinas is where I got that phrase, uh, descend uh, you know, into the naughty problems. It is going into things and not just flying over the surface. You see, when we descend into matters of detail, only as we do this are we willing then to really dig into the naughty problems at a much deeper level. As we go further in and allow the Word of God to go further into us, then we'll be able to understand the actual issues in our lives or the issues of people around us and then through God's word we will have the wisdom needed to provide the help 
to descend into matters of detail is to descend into the particulars. But if that is to be useful, we have to remain there. We have to remain there. It, it, it just simply cannot be enough to get kind of like, you know, hit with a sermon, think about it for however long you're in this room, leave, and that's it until the next week. Just can't, it's not, it's not enough. You have to give yourself to more. You must remain. You see, remaining is actually at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus, as we know, didn't just drop in for a visit. He didn't just, you know, come by. Hey, I was in the neighborhood. I thought I'd stop in. He didn't like, just meet us at the grocery aisle like I very often see Jerry and Alice Noble. Like we're coming to get to visit in the Hannaford, in the Isle of Hannaford, you know. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus descended into his world so that he could undo the naughty problem that sin had created. How would sinners ever be able to stand before a righteous, holy God? And Jesus remained in this world until he accomplished all of his Father's will. This includes death by crucifixion, which is in accordance with the Scripture. It is through his blood we find covering for our sins. It is through repentance and faith that we receive forgiveness for sins. Jesus stayed so that we could have a benefit of eternal salvation. Remaining is at the heart of the gospel. Three days later, he, he is raised from the dead. This too in accordance with the scripture. And you see, it is in his resurrection uh, that we find the power of a new risen life with him. That's why for the month of October, every Sunday, we're going to sing songs about the resurrection. Because we just drift from its truth. And we have to be reminded that every Sunday is a celebration of Easter. People raised up in Christ, coming together, celebrating their new life. Of course, it doesn't end with his resurrection. He ascends in bodily form to his Father's presence. He is received in the glory of heaven as the great king who conquers death and he does so in his glorified human body you see first he comes in humility he descends into the particulars and then he ascends into heaven's glories having won victory over those very particular things and we might be tempted to say well that's great he's there i'm down here what's going on but let me remind you there's more you see if we're going to preach the cross of Jesus to its fullest dimensions, we have to now say that Jesus gives to us the Holy Spirit, the helper. The helper is sent to us by Jesus. This too is in accordance with the scripture. For Jesus made this promise. We'll put the John passage up on the screen for you. Jesus said that he would send the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus remains in the particulars of our lives. He does through, through his word. He does so through the spirit he has poured out upon us. The spirit who brings the light of Jesus to bear in each and every situation of our lives. If Jesus is still not undoing the naughty problems of your life, 
You need to wake up to the reality of his presence that comes to you through his word. We're not just kicked out there to go alone. Hope you do your best. Hope it works out for you. I'll see you on the other side. No. The gospel teaches us that Jesus remains within our lives, poured out in his spirit, poured out in his word. And he continues to undo the naughty problems through the light of his good news and grace poured out in our hearts. But we must remain in the truth. As I thought about this James passage, I, I have a, a often kind of been kind of like stopped in my path and, and asked myself, it's a perfect law, verse 25, and then he calls it the law of liberty. How, how is it, in fact, that law becomes liberating? We think of law as restrictive. It, it puts us in our place. It takes away our liberty. Uh, the commentator, J.A. Uh, Motier, helps us understand this when he writes this. The law of God is the law of liberty because it safeguards. It expresses and enables the life of true freedom into which Christ has brought us. You see, by remaining in the Scripture, we experience the greatest amount of freedom we could possibly experience. Motier helps explain this with a diagram, and we'll put it up on the screen so that you can see it. On one side, you have the man with the mirror, and on the other side, you have the believer with the word. And here's how the illustration works. The man with the mirror observes, he goes away, he forgets. But the believer with the word looks into it. And then he perseveres in it, and then he acts upon it. You see, it is that looking in, that persevering in, and acting upon that creates then the greatest liberty in our lives. The word of God is a liberating force, and as we persevere in it, we experience on a much deeper level the freedom that it brings. It is through engagement with God's word, as we remain in God's word, that we actually learn to trust God, which then leads to a life of greater freedom, a life of greater obedience. So well, how do you know that's true? Well, I think one way we can say it's true is because when, when Christ returns and God's kingdom is fully revealed and we enter into it, now free from this body of sin and death, we will know truest freedom. But what will truest freedom be on the other side? Will it be us getting our own way? Will it be us demanding from God what we want, when we want it, and how we want it? And if he doesn't show up, we put him in the closet for a while? Or will it be that we are truly free because we are free now to do exactly what God wants? We will for all eternity behold him, and we will become what we behold, transformed. And you see, in this life, we could say, well, the same is true here. Freedom isn't getting what we want. Freedom is being freed from what we want so that we desire what he wants, the way he wants it, and, of course, when he wants it. And that life of freedom can be experienced now because we are walking right now towards a book that is always open. It is a book that is not always open, but it is a book right now that has been reading you this entire time. Have you felt any discomfort? 
Has it pierced the joint and the marrow of your life? If not, you might ask yourself, am I dull? Am I dead? Or even, do I not even have Christ? Am I not really a Christian? Am I just having a religious observance this morning? You see, as we become what we behold, we enter into very often this transcendent experience of fellowship and relationship and worship with the living God. And so Psalm 89 becomes profoundly important because in Psalm 89 you get the sense that the psalmist is beholding. And as he beholds the glory of God, he is becoming what he beholds. So he sings. He sings of the steadfast love of the Lord. And he does so forever. With his mouth, he is making known God's faithfulness to all generations. He speaks to God. He says, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. God, you will establish your faithfulness. And then he hears God respond in verse 3, that God has said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And then you have that little musical note, that little grammatical note, S-E-L-A-H, which means take a moment and pause and think about what you just read. Now, we don't do that when we sing songs, do we? We get the end of a verse and someone says, hold on just a minute. <laughs> Boy, we sing another word. I, we need to think about that. You know, we don't do that. We just kind of like go through the song, right? But you get a sense here from these first verses of Psalm 89 that the psalmist has remained, just as Joshua said. He has remained. He has meditated on God's word day and night to such an extent that he can speak about God's faithfulness and he can be reminded and hear God remind him about faithfulness and that it's all wrapped up in a covenant that god has made with david his servant the psalmist didn't know but we now know fulfilled in the lord jesus christ what is going to carry you through uncertainty and there is a lot of uncertainty around us what's going to carry us through it what's going to carry us through hardship there is a lot of hardship all around us What's going to carry you through times of grief and sorrow? What's going to carry you through loneliness? What's going to carry you through struggle? You might struggle with being happy or finding satisfaction. What's going to carry you through when life is going 100% great, wonderful, all the blessings are there? What's going to carry you through if you are not remaining in the steadfast love of the Lord? If you are not remaining and the truth of who God is to us in Jesus Christ. And so I want to warn you, the Bible is not an energy drink that you occasionally pick up and drink and get a little bump. Get you through the afternoon. Five-hour energy or some such thing. Not a pill that you pop and make yourself better, feel better. I read the Bible a little bit. I feel better about myself. You see, the power of the living word of God is meant to transform us as we remain in it. So let me close with a very specific um, invitation. First of all, if you are a Christian, 
If you by faith have confessed Jesus, repented of your sins, you've turned to him fully, you are invited to this table that we're going to celebrate in just a moment. It's a table of fellowship with the Lord. And and, uh, I want to remind you that in this table, the bread and the cup is the place we remember Jesus. We remember what he did when he descended into our particular need. And we celebrate it together, of course. And as we celebrate it, we are strengthened. We are made joyful through our obedience. You see, that's a point of rejoicing. Jesus himself right now is extending an invitation to us. He is drawing us in more fully to his life and to his light. There's a second invitation that goes out. It goes out to those who are Christians and and to those who know they're not a Christian. To the Christian, if you are having trouble navigating through the word, maybe you're stuck, maybe you're not really getting something from it, maybe you're just not sure what to do with the Bible. It's a big book. And just not sure how it works. Um, I want to offer myself to you and say, I, I will help you. I'll, I will help you find a way to get into that Bible more consistently. To draw meaning out of it more regularly. But if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, uh, the best path to becoming a Christian is through reading the Bible. And I would, again, offer myself to you to say, I will sit down with you and I will read the Bible with you. I will answer your questions. More importantly, I will let the Bible answer your questions. And so I I offer this invitation to us this morning. As you come to this table, come ready to celebrate and rejoice in the good things God has done. And then to those who maybe are stuck and need some help in the Scriptures, or to those who are not Christians at all, that you might uh, think about taking me up on my offer, sitting down with you and reading the word of God together with you. Now, Father, we thank you for your grace that has been poured out upon us in Christ Jesus. And as we come, Lord, to your table, we come with hearts open and ready to receive the blessing inherent in it. And in doing so, Lord, let us remember that you did not pass us by. You are a gentle Savior, Oh, Lord, would you hear our our humble cry? And there are some in this room that wonder if you will listen to them at all. Father, I pray that they would be assured that your ear is open to them. I encourage you to be quiet before the Lord right now. Prepare ourselves together to come to his table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.